Well, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I'm your host, William Hill, and this is uh, the day, well, actually, it's two days before things really get nutso, if that's a good word to use. It's probably not a strong enough word, but anyway, be that as it may, it's two days away from when classes start here at Greenville Seminary, and as a student and the host of this program, also doing IT work around the seminary, you can just imagine what my life is like right now. Uh, Things are a little crazy, but that's okay. I'm thankful for the time that I have today carved out in my schedule to sit down and talk with a man who has written a book that I think is something that we all, especially as fathers, but not just fathers, need to take very seriously, especially in the climate and the culture we live in the world we live today, and we'll be talking with this man in just a minute. As usual, you can find out more information about the podcast. Those who listen faithfully every week can go to confessingourhope.com. You can get all the information about what we've done in the past and what's coming up in the future, as well as resources and information. All of that can be found there on the website. Don't forget about the the mobile app, the GPTS mobile app that is free, available for you to download both in iOS and Android. A thousand downloads or more to date uh, since we released this not too long ago. So I'm very encouraged to see people taking advantage of that. It doesn't just have our podcast, but it has chapel sermons and other resources, such as our annual Spring Theology Conference that we host every year. They're available for you on the go. So if you're trucking through the mall or you're sitting in traffic, whatever the case may be, you have it available at your fingertips whenever you would like it. And of course, if you would like more information about Greenville Seminary, you can find us on the web at gpts.edu. There you'll find out all the information about our academic programs, professors, and so forth. If the website doesn't answer your question, write us at info at gpts.edu. Now, as I indicated, we'll be talking with a, a man who has a, he's a, both a pastor and an author, has written a book, on the topic of family worship, the topic of the book is um, one that we really need to give due attention to. Um, as I read through the book, I reflected on my own failures in this area as a father. Um, those of you who listen all the time know I have three grown children. And this is one of those things that I wrestled with pretty often as a dad. And hopefully we'll deal with some of those things as we talk with this author. We'll be speaking with uh, Jason, and I'm going to say his name wrong. I knew I would. Um, so, Jason, why don't you tell us who you are, and that'll kick me right off the hook, and then we'll just launch right into this. <laughs> well, that might be easier. Uh, my uh, name is Jason Halopoulos, and I'm an assistant pastor at University Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan, um, ordained in the PCA, and uh, it's my pleasure to be with you today, Bill. I appreciate you having Great. me. Yes, thank you. And I really, I, I sat down and started reading the book last week, and I really appreciated it. And, and as I was telling you off air, I, I identified almost immediately in the beginning of the book when you talked about people who struggle with this subject and in, in, in the actual, they don't, I don't know if they struggle with the subject so much as they struggle with the actual doing of the subject where people would start, stop. And that was pretty much characterized my children's growing up years in our home. And even now with just my wife, it's still the same kind of struggle that goes on. Um, the flesh loses or wins more than it should in this area. But the title of the book, for those who are wondering, is A Neglected Grace, Family Worship in the Christian Home. And um, so we'll be speaking with Jason on this. So Jason, I got to ask, you know, the million dollar question, of course, is 
what, what's, what was going on behind the scenes that, that drove you to, to sit down and, and put the time in to write a book of this nature? Yeah, I think it's a lot of what uh, you just said about your own struggle. Uh, as I sat down to write the book, uh, there were two primary groups that I had in mind. One was uh, those that just hadn't thought about family worship before, hadn't maybe even heard of it, uh, haven't engaged in it, and just needed a, a good argument as to why to begin engaging in family worship. But probably even more so, I, I wrote it for the second group of people, uh, in which you uh, mentioned belonging to yourself and uh, many people I've ministered to through the years, uh, is those that are convicted say, yeah, I think family worship would be a good thing to practice at home and it's something that we want to do, but uh, just not quite sure how to go about it and I think are oftentimes running around with guilt and it just feels like one more thing to add to the plate and uh, so I wanted to hopefully help stimulate the discussion and kind of stoke the fires of the conversation about family worship uh, and by writing a book that not only gave the, the biblical case for it, and I think a theological argument for it, but, but also just help come alongside of parents that are struggling and uh, to implement it and how to do it, and I think to relieve some of that, that guilt that's often associated with it and just encourage that this is really a wonderful means of grace to be practiced in the home and uh, just encourage uh, parents along those lines. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I think um, as I read the book, you know, I got that tone, the tone that I think you set, set out to present in the beginning where you, you came it out and said, you know, this is not one of those guilt books, you know, books to lay guilt on, even though I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I <laughs> in some sense felt a little guilty as I'm reading it and maybe for all the right reasons. But can't do anything about it now, of course, in that with my kids. But um, but you, but it was written in such a way that not only just said this is something you should do and do it, but you you supported it first in the begin, first half of the book. Really, I think the first three chapters with good solid biblical framework, and then launched into the particulars of the of the actual thing. And and I want to go through if we can briefly. Um, kind of work our way through those first few chapters where you really start out where, and I've read other family worship books before. This isn't the first one I've ever read, but I don't think I've ever read one that started in this way. Um, it, you know, usually launched into the historical precedent for family worship and it's been done throughout our church history. Out of, so this was came out in a very different format. It came out with the idea of who we are and what we're here to do as God's creatures. And so that was your first chapter. And, and I'm intrigued as to the beginning there. And, and you didn't just jump into the subject. You started really with the idea that we're created in the image of God to worship. We're worshipful creatures. Can you elaborate maybe a little on that chapter? And, and why did you start there and maybe not on the topic specific? Yeah. As we, as we think about family worship, uh, often the, the case is that we approach it as some kind of isolated individual, um, I don't know, entity, I guess, that, that, we're, that we're doing in our own homes. And, and I wanted to set it in the context of, of all of life. So hmm. as we think about the, why we were created and why God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, uh, it was uh, primarily to be a worshiper of him, to live all the day of his, days of his life as um, this one who would uh, offer his body as a living sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12, and uh, unto God in 
in his daily labors and his relationship with his wife and his governing of creation. Um, so I think as we think about why we were created it's to be worshipers, and then if we think about us as Christians, the reason we're recreated in Christ and born again is, again, to be worshipers. Um, you know, Paul will say there in 1 Corinthians that, you know, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we are to do to the glory of God. Um, we are worshiping beings. That's why we're created. That's why we're recreated. So if we set that as the foundation, and then we look at that and we say, yeah, all, all of life is, is to be an act of worship to God. And so as we think about that, and then we think uh, that's a reality, and that is true, and yet it's also true that it seems scripturally and theologically that God has set aside specific spheres where we are um, to see worship practice and implemented. Uh, and as I talk about in the book, I think the three main spheres of worship uh, that we see are corporate worship, uh, where the church gathers together as a body. Uh, we have been knitted together in Christ, and so we come together to offer worship to God. Uh, there's also that that secret or private worship. Um, Puritans often called it secret worship. I think, you know, in our modern parlance today, people call it, you know, our, our uh, devotion times or um, those times that we get away and we shut the door, as Christ talked about, and we offer worship to God individually. So those are the two ends of the spectrum, corporate worship where we gather together with the body and secret worship where uh, I'm alone with Christ in that inner chamber. Uh, and I think there's also that sphere of family worship where mm. uh, all those within the, the home gather together and uh, worship God and that this marks our homes uh, as much as it marks our body life together and as much as it marks my individual life, uh, so it should mark my family life. Um, so we want to see our, our families, those living under the same roof, gathering together to, to offer worship to God. Um, and, and I think, just to kind of close this out, to, as we're talking about that, as we think about those three spheres, they all inform one another and, mm-hmm. and help us to live this life of worship to God as we were created to be and as we were recreated to be. These three spheres all inform one another and, and, and help to in, inform a life that is truly uh, a living sacrifice unto God. And, um, and so that's why one of the reasons that I think family worship is is crucial and important. It, it informs my corporate worship. It informs my secret worship, uh, just as my secret worship and corporate worship inform my family worship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was as I was reading that chapter and and I was thinking about those things that you were saying. There is clearly these elements are informing one another. They're not isolated issues. So. It's not as though our corporate worship is lived lived off in a vacuum somewhere, or my private worship, or secret worship, or daily devotions, whatever terms, phrases, what people want to attach to it these days, isn't also lived in a vacuum. And, and then family worship, again, isn't lived in a vacuum. These things all have overlapping elements, which strengthen them, in fact, and not weaken each. It helps support all three um, very nicely. Mm-hmm. But then you move into chapter two with, where I really live as a person. I'm a very practical oriented kind of guy and I need reasons for things. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, okay, you can give me the rules, but I need to know why they're there. 
I need to understand, okay, that's the rule, but why is it a rule? Is it just because we have, we're good at making up rules? Um, I'm a reason-oriented person. I don't suspect I'm alone in that thought process. So I, was, I really appreciated the chapter that followed the, you know, the foundational things where you, you go into this, this joyful responsibility and biblical encouragement in, in, in this aspect of family worship. As you're driving towards the particulars now, you're starting to demonstrate the practical reasons for it. Give me a little background into if, if someone were to come up to you and say, okay, pastor, you know, you've, you've been preaching for weeks on family worship, and you know, I'm just not convinced. Tell me why. Give me a reason or reasons, as the case is, as the case may be, why we should do this. Yeah, uh, you know, as we think about family worship, uh, and, and as as you read, there are a few other books out there that uh, have dealt with it over the uh, over the past, you know, fifty years. And um, I think as we look at this, there isn't a a passage that we could point to and say. Uh, here we have a command to spend 15 or 20 minutes in worship together as a family. You're just not going to find that in the scriptures. But what you do find is that parents, and especially and particularly fathers and husbands, are responsible uh, for teaching the truths of God and uh, pointing their families uh, unto the living God. And so as we look at that, whether that's... uh, Genesis 18, or whether that's Deuteronomy 6, where we're told to speak of these things as we lie down, and as we rise up, and as we walk, walk along the way, and as we sit down, or whether it's, uh, I think, one of the most foundational uh, passages regarding this, Psalm 78, where um, the psalmist is talking about these this testimony of God, uh, what God has done, and who He is, and mm-hmm. how we are to pass these things on to our children. We're not to hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation that these, with how the psalmist says, that these glorious deeds of the Lord and of His might and the wonders that He has done, um, these are the things that we're to pass on to our children and to the next generation. But, but, but the crucial question becomes, as we think about Deuteronomy 6 and as we think about Psalm 78, how does this happen? Um and I think, you know, it happens as Deuteronomy 6 talks about, as we're walking along the way and as we're sitting down, it happens in kind of these organic uh, kind of ways, just as we're going through our day. But but there's an incredible benefit to having something that is regular, that is consistent, mm. that is happening every day, that we're gathering together as a family to talk about God, to talk about what He has done, and to pass these things along, you know, as Paul says to Timothy, this good deposit that has been given to you, you know, that this mm. good deposit that I have as a, a father and a husband, to, to have a regular, consistent, daily time where I am passing this on to my children, and, and, and I'm giving it to them, and I'm telling them who God is through the Scriptures, and relaying to them what He has done, and, and centering our home upon this. And I think we can, we can talk about doing it all kinds of other ways, but, but the reality is is that if we don't have something consistent and, and regular, that uh, it becomes very hard for, for it to be not only part of our lives, but the very center of our home, the very center of what our, our home believes and what it does. And, and it's, it's clear, at least to me, historically and, and biblically, that 
that family worship is one of the chief means of accomplishing this within our families. Yeah, I was going to ask you as a way of possible objection to the subject, well, can't we teach our children these things of Scripture and our precious faith um, in other means? Like if I'm driving down the street, can I point out things of, that God's created? Can I teach my children as we're walking down the road about the things of the Lord? Why does it have to be a specific time uh, consistently organized on a daily basis. And, I mean, he somewhat answered that question. I think there's the ex, you know the expectation level that, that the children begin to expect this time as a time of instruction. But how would you respond to that objection? I mean, when if someone says, "Well, you know, I, I do that, but I don't do it in this formal sense that you just described." Yeah, I think it's two things. I think the one is, and we want to encourage that. Um, that perspective of saying, look, when I'm going on a walk around the neighborhood with my kids, I'm talking to them about the sunset that we're seeing and that mm. uh, this is God's handiwork. And as we're playing outside and, and enjoying one another, that that we're reminding each other that God has given each of us as a gift to each other. And that is wonderful. And that should be part of our, our life together with our family and should be part of that dynamic living in God. But it's also true that, that God has given us means of grace. So as much as I, as I want to do those things and, and absolutely want to encourage them, I also want to say that God has given us His Word. He has given us prayer. He has given us uh, song. He has given us these things as means of grace by which He communicates grace to us, by which we we dwell with Him, and by which we learn of Him, and enjoy Him. And so the, we want to absolutely affirm that that these organic kind of, just every day, as we're talking, and as we're sitting around the dinner table, and as we're playing outside, and as we're driving to school, that yes, let's absolutely um, speak about God, and the things of God, in those contexts. But let's also recognize that that God has given us means of grace. And so as the church gathers together and 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 as it the people out in the hallway are fellowshipping together and encouraging each other in the things of God, that doesn't somehow negate the fact that they also gather together to hear the word of God read and to hear it preached mm-hmm. and proclaimed and to pray together and to sing together. And so I think the same thing at home. It, though we talk about these things while we're walking around the neighborhood uh, we don't want to neglect at the same time that God has given us his word. And that, you know, as, as I sit down with my kids and my wife, I, I want to read what God has given us and say that this is effectual. Uh, God has appointed this for a very specific purpose and an end. And I want this to be part of our daily conversation as well. Um, not just what we're doing and how we see God and what we're doing there, but also this daily conversation of what God has done and what the scriptures testify to God having done and who he is. So I think that is important. And the other is uh, what we already uh, spoke about. We can have the best of intentions, uh, but, but there is something about that regular, consistent, daily uh, attending to the means of grace that over the long run has 
an incredible effectual benefit uh, that that though those conversations outside or walking around or as we're doing dishes, they also have wonderful benefits. Uh, I think over the course of time, we'll find that this consistent, regular gathering together as a family probably has even more benefit because it is something that's regular and consistent. Um, and, and that has... It's just an incredible blessing to the family as as a family begins to center upon this and as a family begins to revolve around this and expect this each day and it shapes conversations and it shapes our living together and uh, we encourage each other in these things. Um, So I'm a big, obviously, proponent of family worship. I've seen uh, the effects it's had upon other families and, and upon my own. And in this same chapter, you you really go after, well, that's probably too strong a word, but you you do zero in on the fathers. I mean, let's, you know, you do. Um, You leave room for situations where there may not be a father in the home, a single mom, or that kind of thing. But in general, you're writing to, to fathers, especially beginning on page 36, and I can think, as I'm reading through this section, I thought, you know, there's probably some fathers out there that may bristle at the at this idea of being considered a pastor in their own home. And, and as you laid this out, it, and it really struck me that as fathers, well, most fathers, I know there's some out there that struggle with this too, but most fathers don't have any problem with getting up in the morning, going to work, you know, working hard, coming home, paying their bills, and the house is there, the roof is over the head, the food is in everybody's stomach, and the physical needs are provided for. But as you unpack this thing, and you drove right into 1 Timothy 5, and you talked about how if a person does not provide for his own household, he's uh, denies the faith, he's worse than an infidel, and that whole passage, where you then touched on the aspect of the spiritual needs of the home. And I think this is the part where fathers would immediately, I know I did, would immediately, you know, acknowledge that that's true. But then when it comes to the actual doing, it's a lot easier just to blow it off and and set it aside. Um, This idea of a father being a pastor in the home. Uh, talk to us a little bit about it, both the physical and spiritual responsibilities, because I think this is such a core reason why fathers don't do family worship in the first place, if they don't see the spiritual responsibility. Yeah, uh, you know, you're referencing uh, pastor, uh, fathers being pastors in the home. Uh, makes me think of Jonathan Edwards and John Knox, you know, two great mm-hmm. stalwarts in the Reformed tradition. Jonathan Edwards saying, uh, fathers, you, you you know, you are the pastor of, of your little church, um, or John Knox, you know, saying to fathers, you, you are bishops and kings in your home. And, and what they are both pointing out um, is that fathers have this responsibility in the home. It's a God-given responsibility. Uh, it may not be something that uh, a man wants or even that a man desires, but nonetheless, it is, it is God-given. Uh, and uh, we either uh, attend to it and fulfill it, or we run from it. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's always easy, uh, and it often means that it's hard. Uh, but I think primarily, uh, with it being our responsibility uh, as fathers and husbands, we live a life of loving sacrifice, even as the Lord Jesus does uh, for his bride um, and did mm. for his bride, that that we live a life of loving sacrifice. And so... 
that means that yes, I every day I get up and I go to work and I uh, earn money and to provide for my family physically so that they can have a roof over their head and so that they can have food on their plate and so that they can have clothes and and this is what Paul is pointing out there in First Timothy five that you know that if, if a man doesn't provide for his family he, he's worse than an unbeliever worse than an infidel um, he, he's talking about that that physical provision there. Uh, but I think we can extrapolate from that, that that my wife and my children aren't just physical beings. Uh, they're also mm. spiritual beings. And so there is a true sense in which I'm not providing for them as as a husband and as a father if I'm just providing for them physically. Um, but I also need to provide for them spiritually. If I'm truly going to love them well, uh, then I not only want to provide for their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. And, and I think one of the primary ways that we do that is by gathering our get our family together to read the Word and to hear it read and to pray together and um, and, and to talk about the things of God. Uh, and so, as a husband, as a father, uh, we want to have that also first and foremost in our minds. Uh, Yes, by all means, uh, be encouraged uh, that you're you're doing well by your wife and children as you go out and you you work hard all day long and uh, you sweat by your brow and you bring home resources to provide for your family. But when we walk through that door, let us not think that that our job is done and and that we've done right. all that we need to do as a father and a husband. No, as I come through the door. I, I also need to be reminded that that I need to provide for them spiritually. Uh, and one of the chief means of doing that is to gather them together in worship each day. Sure. Absolutely. And um, even your next chapter, I mean, if that wasn't, if this chapter um, that dealt with you know, the, the, the prime reason for doing these things, and as you laid those out, you even went beyond that in chapter three and started laying out even more pile. You know, you piled one reason on another reason, and the, and the one area that struck me, I think, in the next chapter, um, right in the beginning, frankly, was that I think we're fond of talking, using the language um, as Christians. You know, I, I, we have a Christian home, and uh, but I don't think we think very deeply as to what it actually means to have a Christian home. What does that mean? What does that look like in a practical? tangible way. Obviously, you're arguing that a Christian home it looks like what a Christian looks like, and how can it look like that if it's really characterized by video games and every other thing that competes for our attention? And if this thing, if this aspect of our home life is just set aside or neglected, it where's the Christian home element really there? And, and I want to read and, and those who listen to this podcast know that when I do book interviews, I typically don't talk about the book a lot. I mean, because I want you to go buy the book, obviously. I want you to go read it for yourself, and so you can hear what the author is actually saying. But this section here I thought was, well, was thought-provoking for me as I read it. But it, he, the, uh, he, you simply say, when our children leave the home, what will they say was the center of the family's life together? Do we want them primarily thankful for parents who watch television with them and attended all their games. Now, I mean, we like to look outside the window and see the world taking their kids to every soccer game, football game, baseball game. But the fact of the matter is, Christians are caught up in that too. Now, and I know you're not saying that that's a bad thing necessarily, but when it becomes the center of our family life, it becomes 
problematic? Do we want them primarily thankful for parents who watched television with them and attended all their games? That, that's a good thing, I guess, in some sense. Or do we desire that our children leave the home with an understanding that, we, that worship is the center of who we are and what we do, and that Christ is what was most cherished? And then you're very gracious. You say, I think all of us would say that our desire by God's grace is that our children might say one day, our parents were quirky, <laughs> that would be me, had many faults, and were by no means perfect. But we knew, we know that they loved the Lord, worshipped Him, and were determined to share Christ's love with us. And, and I can't think of any Christian parent that wouldn't read that and say, that's what I, I desire that. But yet, you, but yet then they, in, on this subject right here, they wrestle tremendously. Why, in your experience, Jason, have you seen parents wrestle, especially fathers, wrestle with this, the, the, the tension that exists between what they want and desire and what they actually do? Let, let's be honest. It's a, it's a struggle for all of us uh, because our lives are full. Uh, I've yet to meet a family that, that doesn't think that their life is full. And you know, you're husband especially comes home and, and he's tired after a long day and uh, and he's using every ounce of, of the strength that he has left just to uh, have a conversation with his wife as she's preparing dinner or as they're sitting around the table and uh, to talk with his kids about their day and, and he's just waiting for to get through that bedtime that uh, is often a chore and to get everybody in bed and just to have an hour to, to sit down and read or I think many men watch TV or uh, go work in the yard or something before he heads to bed and and putting something else on the on the daily calendar just feels like an awful lot to ask Uh, and I think we all struggle with that and so what I what I remind people that I've ministered to over the the past 10 years uh, and as I remind myself each day uh, and, and need to remind myself often is is that this doesn't have to be some huge enterprise. This this isn't some monumental thing that has to happen every day where we're sitting down for an hour and a half or two hours and having some great theological discussion as we're sorting through the book of Leviticus and praying a 30-minute prayer together. Just simple. Just, just gather together as a family for 15 minutes. You, you'd be amazed at how much worship can happen in 15 minutes together and just reading a section of scripture together and praying together and, and, and singing a hymn or a psalm or a song together. Uh, and just the, the benefit that even just 15 or 20 minutes every day can have together and how it truly does center the home upon Christ that that your children, as they grow, they say, this is the one thing that was consistent in our home, Mm -hmm. day in and day out, no matter how much was going on or how many things that we were running to. And this was the one thing that that wasn't negotiable to my my mother and father, is that we would gather together as a family and that we would would worship together. And, And having said that, though, I also... This is a reality in our life is that uh, there are nights that just doesn't happen in our home. And I, I tell fathers this all the time, that I think what often happens is that we miss a night or we miss two nights or we miss three nights or we miss it. We look back and all of a sudden a week has gone by and it just feels like, oh, we have to start this whole thing over again. And it just becomes this 
this huge burdensome task. And as I remind myself and remind those that I've had the privilege of ministering to over the years, it's not bad. Again, it's a means of grace. So you know what, if I missed last night or if I missed two nights or if this just has not been a good week for my family because it's VBS week and we're running off here and there or it's maybe it's a baseball tournament week and and we're running off here and there, then you know what, you you just pick it up again. Just pick it up tonight and and start again. Start with 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And uh, I think if it's a if it's a regular, consistent issue in our family because we're constantly running or constantly busy, then then I think we really have to kind of reassess where we're at as a family sure. and and look at why this is something that we're continually missing. But you know, it's not the end of the world if if I miss tonight or tomorrow night or, or a few nights in a row, and let's just pick it right back up and remember it's a means of grace and and that we want to establish our home in Christ and, and have it established in Christ, and, and this is one of the chief means of, of doing so. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a sense, especially in our American culture, but I don't think it's just unique to American culture. I think we like to think it is, for whatever reason. Um that we are just very busy people, and a lot of times our busyness is unnecessary. I, I as you were talking about keeping it simple, I, I shared with my wife my failings in this area as a husband and a father, and and I think one of the reasons why I failed to be very to be consistent in this, as you were talking, is that my my family worship time wasn't simple. It I had a, it had to be some grand production. And I don't know, maybe that's my personality, um, having to dot every I, cross every T. Um, I inherited OCD from my mother. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what the reason is. You know, I just, everything had to be just so. And if it didn't go just so, that would exasperate me or frustrate me. And what I end up doing, I think, is trying to tax my children with 45-minute long family worship. And I just, and I exasperated them to the point where the joy, as you've talked about in the book, and we've, um, talked around it a little bit was gone. There was no joy. It was drudgery. It was it was like work all over again. And um, and I just had to realize. And, and just recently, in the last couple of years, I've come to the realization of this simple little phrase. I mean, it's simple, but hard to do, at least for someone like me. But less sometimes is more. Yeah. And when you try to do too much, you end up doing nothing. And um, I think that was our problem. I was my problem. I think it was just it was just too grand. You know, it had to be an hour. It had to be forty five minutes. We had to do this, do this, do this, do this, and it, there was no joy in the experience um, because of it. Yeah, and, and I think as your point, it, it puts pressure not not only on yourself as a, a father or a husband or a mother, whoever is leading this in the home. It not only puts pressure on you when you have these grand expectations and and have it all worked out like that, but it also puts great uh, burden upon those that you're attempting to lead in Christ. And, and so we want to, we want to safeguard against that. I think about, you know, Christ's words about the, the long prayers of the, the Pharisees and yeah. you know, longer is not always better. Um, you know, it, it may be that for some families, uh, 45 minutes uh, is, is prime for them. And, and that's wonderful. Uh, God bless them in that. Uh, for my family right now, with an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and 
a five-year-old who has trouble sitting still for more than uh, five minutes, uh, 20 minutes mm-hmm. is uh, very good for us on, on an evening. And and again, over time, it, it just has a wonderful cumulative effect. Um, and, and it is something that my kids right now, uh, they look forward to because I think part of it is it, they know that it's not going to be forever or it's not going to be dad waxing eloquent for, for 30 minutes. Uh, it, you know, we're, we're just dialoguing over the scriptures together and they're praying and I'm praying and we're singing a hymn and usually they pick it. And so it's something they're excited about singing together. And it becomes something that truly has in our home is it's something that's joyful. Not every night. Uh, there are nights that it, it is still, uh, it borders on the laborious, and uh, there are nights that, you know, you're tired, and not exactly this isn't the thing that you want to do, uh, but but it is something that our home has begun to be characterized by, and it's something that my kids actually look forward to, and, and I look forward to each night. And I'm hoping as the, as the years pass and as they get older and when they begin to have families, that when we have family gatherings, that... It's something that marks them, and uh, sure. that, that is something that we look forward to engaging in together. So, you know, we don't give up on corporate worship just because we go to worship one Sunday and it, well, you know, had a headache and things just weren't happening, and you just feel like, okay, I could have stayed home and it would have been just the same if I had, you know, we all have had those experiences. We go to worship and it's just like, really didn't, my heart wasn't in it. I guess for a lack of a better way of expressing it. But it doesn't mean we give up on church. The next week we don't go because that, that could happen again. And thankfully the Lord blesses us with very profitable times of corporate worship, just like he does in family worship. But, but I think you're right. I think there are, there are times when it, just, it is laborious. But, but thankfully it, those are fewer. It become fewer and far between as you take that long view, which I think one of the things this book really presented to me was this, this isn't something that we do a few times and it's some magic key that unlocks all these wonderful things that this is something we need to be pers- we need to persevere in stay consistent with and diligently move through um through the life of our children's uh years that God's given them in our home in the first place and and I appreciate that long view I think again as Americans I think you know we're instamatic everything you know it's got to be done today and it, we need to see results tomorrow otherwise it's useless um Family worship doesn't give us always give us the results the day after we do it. Sometimes it takes months and maybe even years to show itself. I want to come back to the simplicity thing because I think it helps highlight one aspect of the book that I think would be a huge help for those who may be listening to this discussion and they're thinking, you know, I I really need to I need to start doing something like this. I'm a father, I'm failing, I'm blowing this miserably. I know I should be doing it. I just I wrestle with these things and um, but I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And um, though you have a whole chapter on that subject, the appendix of the book is is what a what a benefit to have. Um, I wish I had something like this when my when I started understanding even understanding family worship when my children were my oldest was about eight years old. I didn't I didn't even know what to do. I mean, other than just sit down and read the Bible. But I thought, well, I could just read the Bible to them. But then how do I know they're understanding anything I'm saying? I mean, is that actually accomplishing anything? I mean, I think you know what I mean. And yeah. having this appendix here is very, very helpful. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you put them in here just for the listener's benefit. There's a just basically sample family worship structures. And, you know, we we're talking about keeping it simple. Let me just read the first one. 
really just briefly, um, just so you can get a flavor of what we mean by simple. So sample number one, there's, there's a number of these in the back. But the Word of God, read John 15. Singing, allow the children to pick their favorite hymn. Memorization, there's a verse. And then prayer, each member of the family prays. That's it. There you go. Yeah. It's all done. <laughs> yeah. Say, I mean, this my this isn't rocket like time. Nine, yeah. yeah, mine would have been nine pages long, you know, with we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed, and then we're going to read the Westminster Confession of Faith, and then we're going to... Oh, my poor kids must have hated it. Um, but it, it's just a wonderful, simple process. And then you have other ones that are a little more involved, and I think what I like about it is that you can gear these for the ages of your children. So, you know, you have, a, as you mentioned, you have a younger children, so you, you keep it really simple. And as your children get older, you, you, you build on that. You don't get smaller, you build on it. And so I think the appendix is worth the book, frankly, anyway, for any father who might be struggling with just what to do. Uh, they, maybe they already know they should, but here they have this very well laid out and just take it and just adopt it to your own family and press forward. Um, let me ask you some practical questions. And, you know, as I was reflecting on my own life and hope and can't believe I'm alone in some of these struggles. Um, how do you help a father? And you're, you're a pastor. How do you help a father who, who comes to you and says, you know, pastor, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I want to do it, but I'm exhausted every single day. I come, my job is incredibly difficult and I just can't. How do you get them to the, over that, can't hump in the first place because I think oftentimes that's really the problem. It's yeah. not that they don't they don't see the value; it's that they just don't have it left. They're gone. They're spent. Yeah. Well, I think you know, as, as a pastor, I probably want to first talk through. I mean, is he really you know convicted that that this is a good thing for his family? That this is something that's his responsibility? And I think we'll start from that. So we'll say. Okay, Lord is Lord of the conscience, and it appears that he's pricked your conscience that this is a good thing for you and your family. And so then I want to encourage him in it. Uh, say, all right, it's hard for you when you, you come home from a long day uh, of work. Uh, so let, let's talk about uh, something that might be helpful for you. So, so choose a good time. I think a lot of fathers, uh, that's true. Coming home from a long day of work, it's it's just not the prime time for them. And, and it may be that they're not walking out the door that morning till 7.30 or maybe even 8 o'clock and uh, to get to work at, at 9 or, or 8 o'clock. And, and so, you know what, maybe a good time to do it instead is in the morning, to, to gather your mm. family around the breakfast table and take 15 minutes there before you head off to your day and say, you know, we're, we're going to do this together every morning as a family, as I say in the book, I think every family has to find its own kind of rhythm. Uh, for my family, it just does not work in the morning. Uh, it just wouldn't work well. I'm, I'm usually out the door very early, uh, you know, trying to get out the door at 6.30 or, or 7 o'clock, and um, my wife uh, isn't a morning person, so it just would not work in my family to do it in the morning. And it does work for us to to do it in the evening after dinner. It may be as my kids get older and have more after-school activities that uh, it's not going to work that way. And so i got to think about pushing back my day and, and maybe hanging around a little later in the morning because uh, I have that mm. flexibility. Or 
know, some husbands, but uh, they work around the corner, so they come home during the day and and have worship with their wife during the lunch hour. Or so. so I think finding the right rhythm for your family, the the right time. The other is I would I would just have all of us think through if this is something that my conscience is pricked by. Um, that that I do think is my responsibility and is something that's beneficial for my family um, and is a good way to love them and to share Christ with them and to teach them about God and what God has done, then then let's follow through on that. Uh, It's not enough just to say, yeah, it's a good thing and and I wish we had the energy and the time to do it. Let's let's mold our family around this, and so let's take our schedules and and let's take our time and and let's mold it around it. And and it may not be easy. It may mean that uh, I'm coming home tired from a long day, and the only time that we can find to do family worship is before or after dinner, or even around the dinner table. And uh, it, it it's hard work for me, but you know what? It's it's work worth doing. Um, it, it's a joyful responsibility worth uh, employing and engaging in. And mm. and I think about, you know, that day when my kids are finally absent from my home after 18, 20, 22 years, however long it is, and when I look back, am, am I going to regret having labored through those nights after a long day and gathered together with my family for 15 or 20 minutes? Well, I look back and say, and I, I wish I hadn't done that because I was so tired. I, I, sure. I don't think that'll be the case. I think I'll look right. back and say, "No, I'm glad that we labored through those hard evenings when, you know, in some ways uh, it, it was just even more tiring to engage in this. Um, but I, th- I think we'll look back and say, no, I'm, that was one of the best decisions I made as a father. And, and I think as a husband, I, I think, are many husbands that look back and they they say, yeah, I didn't do this with my kids and wish I had. And as I encourage them, it, it's not too late to start family worship in your home. You do that with your wife now. Um, seize those opportunities now. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, about that. And how, certainly there's going to be people like myself who their children are raised, they're grown, and um, the they, they're compelled to, to pick up this book and read it, and even though they might be thinking in the back of their head, well, I don't have a family to do family worship with anymore. Well, you just answered one side of that. That's simply not true. You have a wife, and it's still your responsibility to spiritually guide and lead her. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you help them overcome the reality that they look back and through the lives of their children, and they say, you know, I just, I really failed in this area. Well... I would say, you know, Christian father, Christian husband, uh, would say you remind yourself of all those days that you did plant the Word of God, uh, did sow it uh, by God's grace in your children's lives and uh, in your wife's life, or if you're a mother, or, you know, in your children's lives. That you say, we talked about the things of God. You, you remind yourself of that. You remind yourself that you brought them. Mm. Uh, hopefully to corporate worship uh, weekly, and you remind yourself of the seed that was scattered each week there, and um, and you remind yourself that, that this is a gracious God and that He is gracious to our covenant children and, and that your 
banking the hope of their salvation and the fruit that is born um, upon God's grace and God's working. Uh, family worship is not a it, it's not a, it's not a pill that that one takes and and, and it's a guarantee that, that children come to saving faith. It's it's not a secret weapon in that regard. It's just one of the means of grace that God has given to us. I think to to shape our children and to build them in the things of Christ and to shape our homes. Uh, so it's not the uh, it's not the end of all things, and and it's. It's not something I think a, a father or a husband should beat himself up about because those are days that have passed. But it should be an encouragement if he is now convicted that, man, he wishes he had done that in the years that have that have already passed. But if that conviction is there, then, then it should wake him up to the reality that he has today. And yes. so with his wife today, he should be doing this. And when his grandchildren and children come over to his house to have dinner then do do it with them then when when you're gathering together for christmas you, you do it then i always think of a a uh a pastor friend of mine that uh, i labored with years ago in, a, in another state and um he was a dear friend i remember him coming to me one day and he said jason he was in his late 50s early 60s and he said jason he said i've just not loved my wife well uh, I haven't been a good husband. And I remember saying to him, I said to him, I said, you can be now. And, and he said, no, it, too many years have just gone by. Uh, I said to him, no, it's, it's not too late. You can now. And I think that's a reality we have to consistently remind ourselves of in Christ, is that though I may have regrets, and though there are things that I wish I would have done better and that I could have done better, and we all have those, no matter how good a parents we are or good husbands we are or good mothers we are, uh, there are always going to be things that we could have done better mm-hmm. in Christ. And so I remind myself that that today I need to labor well in Christ and see Christ today and rely upon His grace today. And, and it is never too late. We... we we serve a God who uh, has immeasurable riches um, and works sovereignly by a power that is unrestrained. And and so I, I want to labor in these things well today and, and not just sure. have regret for yesterday and let that yep. shape my living today to, to where I'm just in this despair and anguish. Now, I'm... I have conviction about yesterday, then let me labor all the harder for him today. Yeah, very wise words and helpful, I think, as well. Um, a question occurred to me, um, probably born out of my own experience, <laughs> more than likely. Um, what is your counsel to wives? Because it's been my experience that wives in a Christian home, wives that are loving the Lord, walking with the Lord, I'm not talking about a situation where there's a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. I'm talking about two believing parents. The wife is very desirous to see her husband take the lead in this subject of family worship. The husband doesn't, won't, refuses to, whatever the case may be. What would you say to the wife in those situations? Yes, that's a great question. Because I think this is often reality, um, at least Mm -hmm. in our churches. Um, 
think a lot of times uh, we as husbands and fathers, uh, we we struggle to, to pick up the, the mantle that is ours and, and that responsibility. And uh, and I think often uh, it is at our, our wives that are, are more godly than we are and that are encouraging <laughs> us in the things of Christ and yeah. uh, and that the Lord uses in our lives to, to spur us on to, to righteousness. And I guess I would say that those wives, and as, as they think about it, they want to always have in their mind the command of of God that is consistent throughout the scriptures regarding the wife's relationship to the husband, and that is that they are to honor their husband. So I think as a wife is trying to encourage her husband to lead them in family worship or to engage in family worship, she she always wants to do it with a measure of honor, and, and where that honor and that respect is governing uh, her her encouragement to her husband. So I think there are ways to do it that is honorable, and there are ways that are doing it that, uh, you know, as as scriptures talk about, kind of being a dripping faucet. And um, mm. and so I think I think a wife wants to do it in a gentle way, in a gracious way, in a way that is encouraging her husband that that this is a way that she she really wants him to love her and to love her children, uh, and. And I think she can always have in the back of her mind is, is she knows her husband well. She's been married to him. We we know each other well after we've been married uh, for years and have seen each other's struggles and sins and, and failures. And, and she needs to, to remind herself of that in the back of her mind of why this may be a struggle for him. Maybe it's he's not confident in, in spiritual things and leading his family, or he, he's anxious about... Uh, the fact that maybe she is more spiritually mature than him or anxious of the questions that will be asked or Mm. that Mm -hmm. he will have to lead in prayer. And so I think there are different suggestions that a wife can make about how they approach family worship that can relieve her husband of some of these fears or uh, some of these burdens that he may feel. Um, I think the other... Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, the other is what we've talked about. I think she can communicate in a wise and good way that uh that she she's not expecting uh him to 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 be some uh monumental christian figure but that she's just looking for him to be the husband and, and father of the home and just to do something simply with the children with, with, and with her um and that over the years that will grow and and that will take on uh uh, new dynamics, uh, but that she's just looking for him just to read the word and 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 just to pray and and maybe she's praying and and she's you know uh, helping to lead the song or something, but just just to remind him that it's something that's simple. Sure, probably not a good idea to tell the wife to go in the living room turn the TV off on the husband and drop the kids there and just start doing it. That's probably not not a good wise plan. No, that's probably not the way to go about it. That's probably been tried with probably equally horrible results as well. As we wrap up here, I just want to touch base. I know we didn't talk about all the chapters, and and I tend to do that on purpose so that people buy the book. I think I've said that once already. But chapter 9 is, very, I think, very helpful because you, you present people in this chapter that have either struggled with some of these issues at one time or another, but the bottom line is they actually retell 
their story when it comes to this subject. And um, I'm curious, uh, these people, uh, how did you get to know, uh, did you personally know these individuals? I'm assuming you did, but... Yeah, so, um, yeah, Chapter 9 you're talking about is... Um, just do it, the, yeah. the whole Nike deal. Right, right. that's right. right, just do it. And it's a, has some testimonies from different families that have practiced family worship, and and they're all families that uh, uh, I've either served as their pastor or uh, or friends that I've known through other people, and and they, each of them I just wrote an email to, or um, and asked them if they'd just be willing to to write a few paragraphs about their own experience of family worship, and it was an awful lot of fun to, to get them in reply, and uh, just to see you know, that we have similar struggles and uh, similar things that we've gone through and seen similar benefits. Uh, sure. So we didn't edit them. We just kind of, we, we put them in there after they'd each replied. And uh, I think it, people will find them to be a wonderful encouragement uh, of different struggles that a, that a mother is having or that a, you know, a father now with that is an empty nester and he and his wife, the, the different struggles they've had and the different joys that they've experienced in the midst of it, or a single father and uh, how he has uh, engaged in family worship and uh, just the different experiences that they've been through. And I know I found encouragement to, to me, and uh, I think many readers, as you've expressed, have found encouragement as well as, as they look through the book. Yeah, they, they they read these these stories and they think, hey, I'm not alone. I'm not the only, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the only person out there that wrestles with this. Or, and but you see the, in some sense, you see the benefits before you actually enjoy the benefits in your own home. You see other families reaping the benefits yeah. of these things, and that's, you know, that's a very big help for, especially for us men who get so, well, men like me especially who just get so focused on one specific thing and don't. And then when that's done, it's like, okay, I've done my duty for the day. Mm. <laughs> and mm. forgetting that there's more duty that still uh, still lies ahead. And um, I know my my own wife um, modeled, I think, if I could go that far, um, what I was asking you about, about wives, where she would just, you know, the occasional remark or suggestion or encouragement, it wasn't browbeating, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, well, what's the word that women hate nagging that's yeah. it they don't it wasn't nagging it was just the you know a little reminder a friendly email at work or some the text message you know something that just kind of nudged me in that in a direction because she knew that i i'm not opposed or against mm-hmm. it's just i need to be encouraged a little bit more to move in that direction and and I, cool. I i'm sure i'm not alone um and as we wrap up this discussion, I, I think our guest's desire and mine as well would be, number one, buy the book and read it, because I think you, you will profit from this. It's not, it's not overly long. Okay, You could probably, if you're a diligent reader, you could probably read it in a few hours. Um, it's not overly long, but the material in there, it's, it's written in such a way that it's really encouraging. Um, I didn't come away feeling like the beat-up bum father who blew it. Um, I came away realizing that I did make mistakes. I did err in certain ways, but I also came away with the reality that, you know, I still have a wife. Um, my children are grown now, um, but I still have a wife and I still have this responsibility. And, 
and and I'm encouraged in that direction. I'm not discouraged in that direction. I'm not living in the despondency. I'm I'm looking forward to the to the benefits that are presented here. So read the book. I mean, I think you'll be blessed, encouraged in this area. Um, and it's extremely practical. Um, it's not heavily laden with theological language that you're going to have to look up in a dictionary. It's nothing, no, no offense to the author, but I don't think that was his intention. Um, it, it's, it's very based and framed in, in scriptural principles driving forward into the subject. And so, and I, and I really think, you know, we would see our churches in the corporate sense strengthened if families would be more diligent in this area, not weakened. And I maybe, I wish I could prove this, is there a corollary, is there a correlation between our church's weak, the weakness in the church to the weakness in this department? I don't know. Maybe. I guess I can never prove it, but I'm suspicious anyway of that. Jason, do you have any final um, words, encouragement for the listeners on this subject. I know it's it's obviously near near very near and dear to your own heart. Um, but um, while you're answering that, why don't you tell us how to get the book as well? Yeah, I, I think the what I would just in, encourage our listeners. One of the the most encouraging things that I think that you've said in this, and that anybody can say to me, is that the book is simple, and, and I I want people to read it and get done with it and go. Yeah, um, this is simple, and this makes complete and utter sense, and I could have written that book. Uh, that's my hope, is that people get done with it, and they read it, and they say, go, yeah, this isn't rocket science. This is easy, yeah. and they begin to engage in it as families, or this just spurs them on to practice family worship uh, even more so as a family if they're already practicing that. That would be to me, one of the greatest encouragements to, to hear from people. I just want to see people just do it because I, I think it has, I know that it has wonderful benefits uh, for our families. It has eternal and everlasting benefits. And so would encourage sure. people to, to engage in it. Yeah, the, the book, uh, you can find it anywhere uh, where they sell books, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, Westminster Theological Seminary, um, you know, uh, Christian Focus is the publisher, uh, so you can obviously get it from them directly. But like anywhere you can, you can get Christian books. Uh, you can find the book. Right, and I will have, of course, on the website when this um, broadcast is released, there will be a link, of course, for it, um, pointing to one of those or a few of those resources um, for you to easily grab it uh, as well. So, again, encourage you to get it. Um, it's not overly expensive. I don't have the price in front of me. It doesn't make any difference. Um, who cares? Get it, read it, consume it, do it. Just like the last chapter of the book says. I mean, I really kind of chuckle when I think about the last chapter. Just do it. Okay, you've read all this stuff. Now go go get busy. Yeah. And um, that's uh, um, really, it, it, that's Christianity, right? We can theorize all day long about these things. But if we don't put something into practice, then it's just really a waste of time. And um, so... Get a hold of the book, and I will make it very easy for you to do that on the website. Jason, it's been great to have you on. Um, as I indicated to you off air, I, I feel a little off kilter today for some unknown reason. I don't feel like my normal self. I don't know what that is. I think it's my – I stopped drinking coffee. Maybe that's it. But that could be it. That's not a good idea um, with the start of seminary here happening well, in the year. Well, you know, I, I – I, I, well, I shouldn't say I've stopped. I haven't, like, stopped, stopped. I just have cut way back. I used to drink far too much, and now I'm pretty much – Couple cup, a couple 
mugs a day and that's about it. It yeah. used to be uh, a pot of coffee before I leave the house in the morning. So, um, yeah. And so I don't know if that's causing me to be a little more placid. Well, that's pretty funny. People who know me or hear that are going to start <laughs> laughing because I'm far from placid. Um, I'm very type A and, um, uh, but anyway, but I enjoy these kinds of conversations because it's, to me, this is practical Christianity lived in the raw. This is the real deal. Um, God has given us these children. They are not owed us. God has blessed us with them. They are his children. He has loaned them to us, as it were, and he has given us a responsibility to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I can't think of a better way than do that than to engage in this simple process. There it is. Each day of just sitting down with your children, reading scripture, showing your children by example that you love the word of God enough to read it to them, and then teach them it as well, ask questions. Um, real quick story, an associate pastor of mine who visited with us when I was in, when I was, uh, while I'm here in Greenville, he was in town and he's got five girls and um, they had family worship every day in my house mm. when they were there. Mm. And they invited us, of course, to join them, but I, but they were going to have it Wonderful. because that's their practice. That's their habit. And it was simple, and I remember thinking that as they were doing it. I thought, this is, it's just simple. You know, he reads a, a section of Scripture. He asks the children a couple questions, questions based on their age. And um, then they pray together, and then it's done. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, I, I could have done that. Yeah. So why didn't I? And you know, so what a simple process. And it's just Christianity lived out, and what a great responsibility, great responsibility, but great privilege as well to lead our children in that way. So I very much appreciate the time you took to write the book and for talking with us as well on a subject that I I hope um, Christians, fathers especially, really take seriously. Because I do think we'd see our church, the next generation of Christians, stronger, not weaker, um, just from this simple process each day. Um, What a blessing it would be uh, to see Christ's kingdom advance just from this simple process. Um, effort on a daily basis. So, Jason, thank you very much, and um, we'll be praying for you and your work up there in um, Lansing as you slowly move into the winter season, (laughs) which I I don't miss. I'm a western New Yorker, in case you haven't picked up on it. I'm from western New York. I lived my years in the snow, and I'm glad you have it. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that, and I I appreciate being with you, Bill, and uh, more than appreciate Greenville and um, Lord's blessings upon all the students that they start here uh, this upcoming week uh, with their studies. Yes, thank you very much. You've been listening to an interview with Jason. Uh, Hal- I'm going to say his name wrong again. Hold on, I'll get it right. Halopolis. You got it. Is it. Was that right? <laughs> That's See, it. That I learned something in this interview. Okay, but anyway, he is the author of a book, "A Neglected Grace: Family Worship in the Christian Home." Um, a really excellent treatment of the subject, and I would strongly encourage you to read it. Um, Sit down, read it with your wife, but regardless of how you do it, read it, um, and, and then do it, as the last chapter encourages you to do. Um, and as I said, you'll be able to access that uh, resource very easily on the website at confessingourhope.com. Coming up next week, I'll be speaking uh, with a man I was supposed to speak with a couple weeks ago, but it got delayed, um, but it's been rescheduled for next Monday. Um, Peter Hubbard will be sitting down with me and talking about the topic of homosexuality. How should the church respond to people who are struggle with same-sex attraction? 
It's a reality in our church, friends, we can't ignore it any longer. And we have to be able to biblically respond in a loving way to this situation. And so we're going to sit down with Peter Hubbard and talk with him on this subject um, that we all really need to get a grip on, I think, at least at some level um, in our world today. There's more coming up. Go to the website. You'll find all that information there. So until next week, we do thank you for listening to this discussion, one that I, I really trust God will use to encourage men, especially fathers in the home, to be diligent to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in this way, using this means of grace that God has blessed us with. Um, What a blessing it is. So until next time, we do thank you for listening to this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless. Thank you.